It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone, it's your host Edward Ford and welcome to the Growth Hub Podcast, the show about all things B2B SaaS marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Advanced B2B, the growth marketing agency that helps B2B SaaS businesses generate sustainable revenue growth through marketing. So if you're looking for an agency partner who will help you get measurable results from your marketing, then check out advancedb2b.com for more info. Now, joining us today on the show is Zandra Moore, CEO and co-founder at Pan Intelligence. And today we're talking about how small SaaS companies can take on big competitors as we hear their David versus Goliath story of how a SaaS underdog from a small city in Northern England is competing against legacy BI heavyweights. Zandra discusses through the process of how they positioned themselves, identified points of differentiation, and built out their go-to-market strategy using Jeffrey Moore's framework from Crossing the Chasm. We also hear how this translates into their marketing strategy, their marketing playbook, and how they compete with much smaller budgets than their competitors. So there's all this and a whole lot more on episode number 69 of the Growth of Podcast with Zandra Moore, CEO and co-founder at Pan Intelligence. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome Zandra Moore to the show, who is CEO and co-founder at Pan Intelligence. So, Zandra, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. Really delighted to be invited. Thanks, Edward. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this episode, as it's a topic many SaaS founders, CEOs, and marketers will relate to, and that's how to take on big competitors, as we hear your David versus Goliath story of how a SaaS underdog from a small city in Northern England is taking on legacy BI heavyweights. So to kick things off, I'd love to know, why did you decide to enter a crowded space and compete against giants like Power BI, Tableau and Looker, for example? It's an awesome question. In fact, it was asked um, uh, of our investors and and, uh, in that Series A round that we did last, uh, 2019 it was now, um, it was often a question that came up. And do you know what? It snuck up on us, quite frankly, <laughs> and um, wasn't what we set out to do. Um, actually, we we started as a technology inside another company. We were, we were a BI tool built for our own um, need as a fintech. Uh, we had a big legacy finance application for big banks, and we needed to improve our reporting business objects at the time, which was probably those big legacy tools you're talking about, got acquired by SAP. And we just found ourselves having to develop more around what business objects didn't do um, than, than, than we wanted. So um, my co-founder, Ken, he, he started building something in his bedroom, quite literally. And, um, you know, that was the the, the start of Pan Intelligence and, and what was initially a alongside BI technology to integrate into our, our legacy um, fintech platform. Um, roll forward a few years and that business got acquired and we had the opportunity to spin Pan Intelligence out as its own standalone product. And because we built it for ourselves as a software business, we'd done all of that hard work that mattered to software companies from an integration, security, embedding, authentication, all the things that kind of matter to software vendors. We've sort of done those things that other, other technology companies in the space hadn't Done. So it felt very logical for us to, to go into a, you know, uh, into a, an embedded um, space where we're selling to software businesses. Uh, and at the time, to be honest with you, you know, this is 10, 11 years ago, we started, it was people like ClickView um, that were really sort of around and Power BI wasn't really um, 
in the market in the way that it is today. Uh, nor was looker. So it's people like um, business objects, cognos, click view, tableau. Um, and then over 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 the, the last five years, we've seen the emergence of, of other technologies and um, you know people like Power BI and Looker. So yeah, we've sort of been in this space a while, but very specialised in, in embedded. And um, yeah, we we we've, we're now taking on those really big brands, but it's what we set out to do. And to be honest with you, it's it's it's, it's sort of um, something we haven't really noticed and something we've always done. So um, we don't really think about it that much. Honestly. Yeah, that's great to hear. And not the first time an internal tool has become a SaaS company. That's how Slack got started, for example. So that's great to hear. And from here, we'd love to know, how did you then go about positioning yourselves in this market? Uh, we got it wrong a few times, I think would be fair to say. Um, <laughs> go to market strategies again and not things that you just suddenly wake up with. Um, I take a lot of test and validation. And, you know, we started by... Um, focusing on an indirect route to market. So through resellers and um, system integrators and marketplaces. So things like the Sage marketplace, Salesforce marketplace, and working with resellers who would resell us into, into the market. And, and whilst that really helped us sort of get off the ground in the early stage, actually you, you, you're not directly in, in, in that relationship with the end customer and, and that creates its own challenges. And, and I think, um, the light bulb moment for us um, was when we really saw that that our net dollar retention, our growth and expansion revenues were really coming from those embedded software partnerships where we had direct relationships. And they were also the ones where we were delivering and driving more value and they were helping drive our roadmap. So it was a really symbiotic relationship. And actually, it's where we were getting most of the kind of um, sort of value feedback um, from being significantly differentiated in the market. So really, the, the market taught us <laughs> the lesson and we listened and then we refined that to, to focus on just cloud embedded um, business intelligence and analytics uh, for, for SaaS vendors. Because actually, we realised that that's where we had we had the sort of most um, significant differentiation, and we're driving the most value. Um, but yeah, we, we we probably had a two or three steps at our go to market, but we've definitely landed in a place that that really plays to our strengths now, which is great. Yeah, that's great to hear. And if we discuss differentiation in in slightly more detail here, you touched upon it there in the previous answer. So, what would you say are the three biggest things that make you different compared to? those companies that you're competing against? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try not to turn this into a sales pitch. It's not my words to hear, is it? <laughs> so I'll try and keep it light. But, um, you know, I'm very passionate about what we've built. It, it really is um, different in the market, which we're very proud of. So the first thing is um, that we're three things in one. So, so most tools out there, like a Tableau or a ClickView or a Power BI, are, are data visualization tools. Um, you know, dashboarding, essentially drilling um, into data and presenting that visually. And then you've got other tools like um, SSRS or Cognos, um, Cognos or, or maybe Crystal Reports, which are kind of reporting, formatted reporting tools for distributed reporting or list-based reporting. And then you've got other tools out there for data analysis like R or Python or Alteryx, which are machine learning um, prediction, building predictive models. And we've built a solution that is all of those three, three things in one technology that can be embedded in the SaaS platform. So 
it really helps SaaS vendors to accelerate their roadmap and capabilities around not just data visualization and presentation information, but distributed alerts, alert-based data-driven insights from reporting, getting things into people's inboxes, essentially being told when things are happening as opposed to having to go and find it. And then, you know, the, the real kind of secret source that I think makes us um, get people kind of stop and go, oh, let's show me that is the fact that you can build um, predictive models in, in a really easy way within Pan Intelligence and apply data to those models, score that data and either automate decisions or present those kind of um, predictions to users in a way that they can consume quickly and take action on. So, yeah, three in one um, is the thing that really stands out as, as, as making it, you know, really, really different from other tools. And then lastly, we, you know, we are absolutely 100% focused on being white labeled and embedded in SaaS. So all the things that matter to SaaS vendors, um, white labeling, security authentication, how we're embedded, styling, um, uh, all those kind of more technical deployment things that that matter. Um, um, again, we really attend to that because that's that's what we do. So yeah, I think the fact that we're focused on a very specialised niche in, in embedded um, SaaS cloud deployments and three in one would be the the two main areas that really stand out for us. Yeah, that's great to hear, and I think it could be really useful for fellow SaaS marketers and CEOs and founders to understand how other companies think about their differentiation, so they can start thinking how they themselves can differentiate. So great to hear that. And I think the other reason is that we hear, heard about your positioning and differentiation, but I'd love to dig into the actual process. So I know you mentioned that it was sort of a, an organic iterative process, but can you talk us through in a little more detail of the process of how you actually went about finding your positioning and those areas of differentiation? Yeah, I, we were um, at a crossroads at our series A round where we knew um, we had too many uh, too many channels essentially to market and we needed to kind of really focus and refine our go to market. So like I said, we were sort of selling through marketplaces, through resellers and also directly to software vendors. Um, and when we closed our series A, we, we had a, a new chairman that came into the business, a guy called Howard Bell. He was one of the founders of PayPal in Europe and really expert kind of in the in the in sort of go-to-market strategies and he helped um, lead me and the team on um, a, a, an approach to kind of really refining go-to-market which was using um, the framework called Crossing the Chasm by I think I was at George Moore I think it is uh, George or Jeffrey I'm not quite sure but George Moore I should know because it's the same surname as me um, but that framework is really about kind of identifying your kind of um, your, your addressable market your time your sound which you will be familiar with refining that and understanding how big that is and, and then identifying your ICP, your ideal customer profile, being able to really kind of um, uh, characterise that ICP, knowing exactly what their characteristics are and where you might find them and, and what they're looking for. Your crown jewels, which are like that three-in-one that I described, the fact that we're built for embedding, uh, rapid deployment, those are the things that we, we specialise in. So what are the three things that are defensibly different about your solution that the rest of the market can't say so you are your core crown jewels and then you know after that you're, you're sort of digging into what is the whole product solution what are the core elements of what your um, proposition contains that people are actually buying into and it isn't just your product as a SaaS company it's the services and you know the 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 uh, additional wraparound support that's provided on top of the product which is all part of your whole product solution um, and then the channels and alliances and partnerships and, and routes to market after that and and it's a really great framework for kind of taking not just you know 
the leaders of business but the whole business through as a language and we've really embedded that in now and it helped us to get very clear on our on on the messaging and that that everybody could sort of challenge that and after um the first uh, sort of iteration of that 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 set of kind of um frameworks uh we did a three-month test and trial phase and then we revalidated that and we did a whole kind of uh, research piece back into our prospective customers to validate that our crown jewels were our crown jewels that our whole product solution wasn't missing anything and that we had got the ideal customer profile right and that we were hitting the sweet spot for our business um and 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 to really just check that we were not sort of um just forging ahead on a path that that could you know could could be iterated so you know you know i say yes we, we sort of it was organic and it was in a way uh, because it was partly because we were listening to the market that we'd started with some sense of what our crown jewels and our acp was but that process helped us to rethink really in a more systematic way and, and and um sort of refine it and validate it yeah that's awesome to hear about how you built the go-to-market. I think it's Jeffrey Moore, if I remember correctly. Jeffrey, thank you. <laughs> I think so. I'm not fully sure, but I think most people listening will probably know because that's, yeah, for sure, one of the classic SaaS marketing books. So that's great to hear. So if we take this as a starting point and focus on marketing specifically, what does this then mean for your marketing and how does it translate into your actual marketing strategy? Uh I think it's been a tough 18 months because I think a lot of channels that were working have changed. And um, I think firstly, it it refines your messaging and your positioning, which is great because it gives that clarity to, you know, um, yes, to website content um, and and anything that you're sending out from a messaging through whatever channel. So that's brilliant as a framework, but knowing which channels are going to work for you is always iterative and changes, it's dynamic. And, you know, we went into um, the first quarter of, of, of 2020 with certain channels like really working for us. And by the end of 2020, those channels were just not working in the same way because everyone had moved to remote working and people were getting overloaded with kind of digital because we weren't physically meeting and networking and events had all stopped. And, you know, digital events were really starting to, to work, but, um, again, everyone realised that and suddenly there was so much that none of us could, you know, you were getting a real dilution. So a lot changed, I think, over the last 18 months of around channels. And we've had to be really tuned into that and make sure that we don't, you know, just assume that the channel is constantly working for us and validate the, the return on investment. Um, for us, the sales cycle isn't, you know, we're not a pure, pure SaaS in the fact that we're embedded, which means that there's a bit of a longer sales cycle for us. So our, our time to close can be circa 100 uh, 120, 150 days, whereas like uh, you know more spin-up type SaaS um, might be might be 30 days. So sometimes you know because of our, our, our longer sales cycle, because people are testing and validating that the technology fits into their stack and is right for them, we have to be really tuned into our channels working because you know we, we can't always wait <laughs> to see the full cycle close. So we have to make sure we're really focusing on what's converting further up the funnel for us. So you know really looking at what's generating those demonstrations for us the business our sqls are, are essentially technical demonstrations so so there's um i think it depends on the type of SaaS business you are but like um for us um enterprise uh our acv is is quite high um in some respects in comparison to some of the sort of pure play um uh, SaaS. so i think there is yeah that does have its impact on on monitoring and refining your your your, ch- your effective channels i think yeah that's great to hear and what does your marketing playbook then look like now after the changes you saw in 2020 that you 
you mentioned there and also to make sure you can compete with these other big players since I guess you probably have smaller budgets than the likes of Google, Microsoft, Tableau, et cetera. We definitely have small budgets. <laughs> we definitely have small budgets. Working on that though. Yes. <laughs> Working on that. Um, yeah, I, you know, the, the great thing about being small is you can be agile and respond really fast to the changing dynamics of a market in a way that perhaps the larger vendors can't. So there is some kind of power in that, that side being smaller. And I think when I go back to how much the world changed in the last 18 months around, like I say, some of the channels that were working and, and some of the channels which just switched off overnight. Um, you know, our ability to kind of adapt and refine, you know, we, we did it in days. You know, one of our competitors was acquired Chartio by Atlassian. And within 24 hours, we'd spun up an entire campaign. We had the data of all of their customers and we were able to go and, you know, prospect to that, 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 that customer base. And, and we were able to do that so fast. And, and I don't think some of our, our you know, large competition can move at that pace because of the, you know, their, their own kind of approval channels and teams and the size of the teams and just what's required. So there is some power in, in being small. Um, but yeah, smaller budgets, uh, yeah, you, you, you kind of, um, you have to work a little bit harder on uh, uh, finding different, different routes. <laughs> you get a little bit more focused on data, I would suggest. Um, so account-based marketing is important to us so that we, you know, that targeted list of ICPs is really qualified and validated. So we're using the resources that we have really effectively. So not really a spray and pray approach. We don't take a kind of paid ad type, you know, um, approach to marketing. It's very much more account-based and, and knowing, knowing who our ICP is, knowing where to find them, um, being agile enough to adapt our our channels to that audience quickly based on sort of what's happening and uh and and, and, and being really patiently persistent <laughs> with those with those accounts that you're targeting and, and try lots of different approaches and that seems to work for us there's a rule that we use which is 12 touch points i don't think it's a common one but you know if you're using multiple channels to try and approach a target customer ideal customer then you know, um, if you haven't tried at least 12 times, then then you've not tried enough. So we take that approach. Yeah, that's really good to hear. It makes a lot of sense. So what then have been some of the mistakes that you've made along the way on your, on your journey and trying to compete with these kinds of companies? Uh, not realizing our own value. I think we can all have kind of, um, I don't know, it's David and Goliath, you know, <laughs> this kind of, you know, the, you, you can suddenly, you know, you don't necessarily believe you can take on the giant sometimes and I definitely earlier in our journey um we'd be really intimidated if we came up against some of the the, the bigger players and in some ways it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy if you don't believe you can win against these companies so it, there is a bit of a mindset and and believing you can and you just need those first few wins right to suddenly realize that actually you can take on and um and so I think, yeah, but I think that's what everybody goes through. That I think you just have to go through that. Um, life's, I think you just have to go through that. I don't think that's something that you can just flip flip over into a different mindset. Um, I think uh, recognizing that um, just because somebody is using one of these tools, um, it doesn't mean that they're happy with it as well. So sometimes we would, you know, hear that they were using something like a Looker or a Power BI or a Tableau. Go, oh, you know, they're not going to look at us. But actually, um, often when you really persist with kind of understanding the value that they're getting from that or not, and the things that then they they 
need to be able to do, what you realise is actually there is space for us too. They don't necessarily remove these technologies. So not assuming that this is always a, a swap out conversation or that there's already technology that's present that you can't compete with, but actually recognising that the added value that your technology offers and positioning alongside um, has again worked worked really well for us. But again, we you know probably took us a little while to learn that that was a space for us and a way we could position ourselves. Um, uh, yeah, that'd be two things. I think uh, there's probably more. But that's why I can. <laughs> yeah, I think those are really good points. And yeah, always good to remember that David beat Goliath in the story. So um, <laughs> good to to keep reminding yourself that. So in general, then on this topic, how do you think? looking back at your own experiences, how smaller SaaS companies can really stand out, differentiate, and take on bigger and more established competitors? I'm going to be a little bit selfish here because um, I'm, I'm a bit biased on this, if I'm honest with you. So we spend our whole um, uh, existence, our whole existence is working with SaaS companies. They're our customers. They're, they're the people that we serve, people that use our technology. And often we are, we are working with the Davids um, always invariably working with the Davids and they um, what we help them to do is differentiate you know all of this conversation Edward has been about you know standing out being different competing and what we help them to do is really differentiate so having kind of machine learning at the heart of their platform having really engaging data insights that drive real value and, and, and drive decisions and drive outcomes you know, really switching that capability on fast so that they can be, you know, have Goliath level um, functionality in their product um, and really surprise the market and, and compete. So, so you know, for me, it, it, it's about building in that differentiation so that you can stand toe to toe and ideally building in more, more than just, you know, it's not a me too, but actually get ahead and finding technologies that can get you ahead and, and not thinking you have to build all of these things for yourselves in a platform, I think is really powerful to, 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 to essentially land grabbing in a market. And I think where SaaS vendors really, um, I suppose, can be conflicted is we're, we're essentially kind of product companies and we're all passionate product people. Often a lot of us are technologists and we, we can't help ourselves getting really passionate about the tech, but actually it's, it's, it's equally important to be focused on, you know, on, on user adoption and usage as fast as possible to take to take that kind of first mover advantage and anything that can help you do that anything that can give you that getting ahead differentiation um, is 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 highly valuable and, and you, you don't have to build it all um, so you know I think for you know being, that's that's how I see what we do for SaaS vendors and how we help them to do that and take on the, the, the Goliaths um, but yeah I just think um, we, we can all be quite product focused and sometimes we need to be a lot more market focused to, to realize that, you know, we can all have a, you know, we can have some great code and a great product, but if we're not getting it in the hands of people, then, then we're missing, we're missing the opportunity to, to really change things with our technologies. Yeah. Super good advice. And I think it's a trap we can easily fall into, especially uh, as marketers that you become a bit too, too obsessed with the product, but always remember the, the market and the customer. So I think this was super good advice and Zandra, we could move, to our closing questions and our fast five challenge. So to wrap things up, I will ask you five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready? Oh gosh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool, let's do it. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Um, first question, what is the one book you would recommend others to read? 
Uh, I, I, I've got to say crossing the chasm, haven't I, from what I've just talked about, but I, it, it was really important to us in our growth phase. Yes, from our, our good friend, Jeffrey. Um, second question, a SaaS company you love and why? Oh, an awesome question. And there's so many that I feel like if I mention one, I'm going to be in trouble. I would say monday.com. I think what they're doing um, is great. Uh, I think the whole no code revolution is 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 fascinating to watch and I'm you know bubble as well I'm sorry but I have mentioned too <laughs> but I think there's some I think no code is is a huge distributor disruptor and I think there's you know spinning up products quickly and solutions quickly without having to develop is is, is going to really transform the tech sector. Cool love it. Third question favorite place to learn about marketing online? Well oh, no, my head of marketing would be much better at this than me. <laughs> um I I do so I've I use things like Nathan Lapka for the SaaS sector, and it's not specifically marketing, but he has lots of, I'd say, general sort of SaaS marketing and scale up advice. Uh, and I, my favourite YouTuber is a guy called uh, Jacko, um, who's if you, you if you go onto YouTube and look, winning by design. Uh, and Jacko, I think it's Vanderkoy is how you pronounce it, but um, uh, he's a little bit crazy. Bear with him; he sort of DJs through his YouTube his his videos, but awesome. Um, go-to-market kind of funnel um, SaaS strategies. But yeah, Jacko, winning by design if you go to YouTube. Awesome. A couple of great shout-outs there for sure. Then the fourth question, most important growth metric. Um, oh, right. Okay. Um, net dollar retention. Uh, I think it's, it's massively important to uh, not just land, but expand and keep what you've got. And I think if you can... We're fortunate because we're an embedded technology, so it's it's quite sticky in that regard. It might take you a little bit longer to adopt um, and acquire a customer, um, but once you have that customer, you're really in it together. It's a partnership and you're driving value. So that really enables that net dollar retention. And, and I think is it from a longer term strategy for sort of SaaS, SaaS growth and sustainable SaaS businesses, I think that's a key one. Yeah, great. And the last question, what would be your best piece of advice for our listeners? Don't give up. Um, somebody said to me, and I'm going to try and find the book because um, he said, I've not read it yet, How Not to Die. But we had this great fireside chat. Uh, it was a guy called James uh, Islay from Cognizant. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's when, you, when, you, when, it's, when it's super hard, when it's really, really, really super hard, it, that's the time to dig in and push on. And it's not about you know, have you got the right go-to-market strategy? Have you got the right product? Sometimes it's just keep trying and you'll get there and you'll find you'll find the path. It's just not giving up. So he said, I've got to read that book. So how not to die, which sounds a little bit macabre, but I think it's that just, you know, we didn't get everything right at all first time and it's been iterative. And, you know, I think it's just, you'll get there. Just keep going. You'll get there if you believe in it. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about the grasp and digging in so <laughs> awesome well Zandra I have to say this was absolutely fantastic and I just want to thank you so much for coming on the Growth Hub podcast it's a pleasure Andrew. thanks for the invite that was Zandra Moore on how small SaaS companies can take on big competitors so thank you so much for listening and if you're enjoying the show we'd love for you to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and as ever, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you for listening to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded.
biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different